Well, thank you, Brother Mueller. That is certainly a very encouraging um, reminder, exhortation in these times to have faith in God. And certainly our circumstances can distract us and cause us to uh, doubt, get discouraged. And fear, of course, is the antithesis of faith. And uh, we see that very importantly in the life of Peter as he was walking on the water. When he took his eyes off the Lord and focused on his uh, circumstances around him, down he went. And so let me encourage you in these days to have faith in God, keep your focus on the Lord, and uh, certainly you'll not find yourself sinking if you do that. And uh, so hopefully you find yourself encouraged in the Lord. These are unique days. And as I mentioned yesterday, pretty much uh, none of us in our lifetime can have anything close, though there are probably some living, probably in their 80s or 90s that can remember some plagues. Uh, but in our modern era, we certainly have not faced anything like this, and this is, of course, unique. And as a result of that, I felt uh, it would be good for us to review 2 Chronicles 7.14. So if you want to go back to that verse, many of you know it by heart, but if you'd go back to the text, I do want us to look at some things. Uh, Brother Bosler and I were talking yesterday about this particular text of Scripture. He mentioned something I want to share with you uh, as we continue on our journey to finish this text of Scripture here, uh, at least for our dealing with. And what I want us to focus on is the application here in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Let's go ahead and read it first, then I'll make the application. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And of course, a wonderful verse of Scripture we often hear about in revival. And what I'm trying to do in these days is encourage us in the personal aspect of personal revival. And Brother Bosler mentioned something that I had not really taken into account. Uh, if you want to go back a page to chapter number 6 of 2 Chronicles, he pointed out uh, as uh, Solomon was praying, of course this is uh, the Lord uh, responding to Solomon, uh, talking to him about what he had prayed. And in chapter number 6, a part of his prayer is found there in verse 32. Notice the application. He says, Moreover, concerning thy, uh, the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel, but is come from a far country, for thy great namesake, and thy mighty hand, and thy stretched out arm, if they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from the heavens, even according to, from thy dwelling place. And do according to all that that stranger calleth thee to do, or calleth to thee for that all the people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee, as doth thy people Israel, and may know that this house which I built is called by thy name. Now we realize, of course, today the application of that, the temple, of course, is our own bodies, or now the temple is where he, the Lord lives. And certainly I am not going to, at this point, um, uh, go down that trail, but I think there could be some argument possibly to that text of Scripture being a broader application to perhaps... Um, people who uh, look uh, to the Lord uh, for calling for uh, reviving that would involve their nation or their land. But our focus is on individual believers, and I want us to continue to focus there because of um, uh, certainly is the application. It reminds me, and you perhaps have heard this before, I think it was Gypsy Smith who said, if you want revival, draw a four-foot in diameter circle, step into the circle, and ask God to send revival to the contents of that circle. Now, it's simply as a reminder that personal rev our revival, even a corporate revival, always begins with individuals. And as it spreads, one individual touches another, and revival begins to, to, uh, uh, begin to spread into individual lives. Uh, some of you have heard this one as well. In the country of Wales, 1904, the Great Welsh Revival, uh, as word began to spread all over the globe, people began to come uh, to the country of Wales to see uh, the revival. And one man came at great distance, and he was excited to get in within the boundaries of Wales and some busy city, I'm not sure what it was. And he made his way to a policeman, and he says, could you tell me where the revival is? 
And the policeman cocked back with a big smile and pointed to his own heart, and he said, oh, the revival is in here. And uh, that is a very correct answer. And so when it comes to talking about uh, revival, we're, we're of course, reminding ourselves of that personal revival is where it all begins. Now, why are we talking about this? Well, we find ourselves in a unique time. And um, I do believe that although God is certainly wanting to uh, do something beyond the boundaries of God's people, it starts with God's people. And if anything, this trial that we're going through, if there's anything that will lastingly affect our culture, it will come because of God's people. And I believe really the first application is not just God working lost people, though we all want that to happen. We want their mortality, their need of eternity, uh, their uh, uh, questions about eternity. We want God to do all of that in hearts. And uh, certainly I believe God is right readying the harvest, no doubt about that. We're not diminishing that. But I believe that the first thing He wants to do is always God's people. Uh, God is wanting to do something in our hearts. So that uh, these days, during these days, and when these days are over, that that we will uh, step forward and uh, whatever God wants us to do, whatever He lays on our hearts, that we would be willing to go forward, be ready to move forward. So I trust you won't waste uh, suffering. Someone has said uh, uh, it's a tragic thing when God's people waste suffering. And I don't know all that God's trying to do, but I do believe one thing He's trying to do is arrest us as believers. And I know it certainly has been in my own heart, is whatever remaining days God gives each one of us, God wants to do some great things, and many times we don't realize that we're the limitation of what God wants to do. So perhaps in one of the things God is doing in these moments is giving us some time of reflection, not introspection, but reflection. And I do want to warn of introspection, introspection many times the enemy, particularly to highly sensitive people, uh, human introspection can be a very difficult, very uh, actually counterproductive thing. I uh, was reading years ago, I believe it was a book by Hannah Whitehall-Smith, and she made a statement that was very helpful. She said, the Bible does not say, search me, O me. <laughs> it says, search me, O God. And uh, human introspection doesn't work. I've tried to learn not to search myself, but I have learned to say, Lord, if there's something I need to see, show me. And I think it's a regular prayer that I try to pray. It's not, a, it's not an easy prayer to pray. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes a painful prayer to pray, but Lord, show me my blind spots Show me what I don't see that I need to see because I need to move forward. And I believe God is answering that prayer in my own life. And I hope you'll pray it in your own life. But a, certainly a verse of Scripture like this, we can say, Lord, search me, O God. Show me if there's something I need to see in my um, pilgrimage uh, that would uh, greatly enhance my effectiveness, would take away hindrances that uh, hinder me from full usefulness in my life. So back to the verse 14, we yesterday dealt with uh, the first two. Uh, humble ourselves and pray. And for those perhaps there's new ones joining us, uh, humility is just simply two things. It's honesty and humility is uh, dependence. It's, it's I have sinned or I have needs and I need God. He's the one who can meet the needs. And uh, that is, of course, pride would be the opposite. Pride would be, um, you know, I'm not that bad uh, and I really don't need God. Though we wouldn't say it, we often act that way. And uh, someone has well said, prayerlessness is a declaration of independence. And certainly prayerlessness would indicate to anybody that they are in pride. Prayerlessness comes out of a heart of pride because someone who's humble is going to pray because they know they need God. And uh, the only way your need of God can be expressed is in prayer. That's where it is expressed. God, I need you. And so that's why prayer is such a very important part of our lives. It acknowledges our need. It is really part of humility. So we talk more about humility, taking the mask off, being honest as God would lead us, and that's why I mentioned that human introspection can be such a bad thing. Even people who want to be humble, 
can be humanly introspective, and I, I believe Holy Spirit inspection is different because the Bible says God is light, in Him is no darkness at all. So when we look to the Lord and say, Lord, You show me. Uh, show me what I need to see. Show me what I need to do. If there's a step I need to take, I want to take it. Uh, I often will put it this way. If God wants you to do something, He has obligated Himself to make it 100% sure because He is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And when God leads and when His light is shining, it is that clear. It is that which He actually gets you excited about. You begin to realize, yeah, I need to do this. This is my next step in my Christian life. So um, humble ourselves. Humility, looking to God to lead us on how to apply that, the steps we need to take appropriately so. And then, of course, pray. We talked about the word pray is uh, the word request in the Old English. I pray thee, I request thee, I'm asking of thee. And really this ought to be a time of asking God. And I think it's a unique time. And as I uh, think back to my college years, as I mentioned the other uh, day, how important it is to begin to ask God about the future. These days certainly there's present tense ministry going on, but I, I think for all of us this might be a reflection, okay, when this is all said and done, what is it, what is it you want to do? And start praying some big prayers. And uh, let's ask God to do some great things because He can do above what we could ask or think. And I don't know about you, I can ask and think some pretty big things. So let's give it a shot. And then, of course, it says, pray, and here it is where we want to pick up and seek my face. Now, I've dealt with this a lot, so many students are familiar with this. But seeking God's face, of course, the whole picture of God's face in the Old Testament, I, I love the book of Psalms, cause thy face to shine upon us. Now, what's God talking about? Because the Bible says no man has seen God at any time, so how can you seek His face if you'll never be able to see it? Well, obviously, this is clearly figurative language, but it's using a very human illustration. And, of course, back in those days, if you saw somebody's face, you knew something, and that was simply this, they're in your presence. They are in your presence. Now, I would think you can see my face right now, unless you're having technical difficulties. And if you can, it's a little bit different today because you're not in my presence. Uh, you may be close, but you're not in my presence. Some of you are a long way away, particularly those of you up in Edmonton, Alberta. I've driven that drive. You have too. That's a long way off. You can see my face, but we are not in each other's presence. So modern technology has perhaps maybe obscured some of these Old Testament passages because we don't think like Old Testament people, particularly all you millennials in Generation Z. You've had technology your whole lives. And for some of us, uh, uh, if you saw somebody's face back when I was a kid, it was either a picture or you were in their presence. Uh, you had no live technology like we do now. But even years, years back, uh, before pictures, if you saw somebody's face, you knew something. They are in your presence. So it would be here in the Old Testament. So what is seeking God's face? It's seeking His manifest presence. And many of you remember the Manifest Presence Conference and the whole theme. In fact, that's a great conference if you want to go back and investigate that because it is, it is, uh, uh, it is a pursuit. I've mentioned this before, but I remember when I was in college, there was a book that deeply stirred me to the depths of my soul. and uh, That was the book, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. I don't remember how, I don't remember where, I don't remember, I do remember when. It was my freshman year. But I came across that book. I was first year studying for the ministry. I uh, knew there were needs in my heart. I knew I needed to grow. I knew there was depth. I knew there was a lot of inconsistency spiritually. I, did, I knew I did not have a, a deep, substantive walk with God. And I came across that book and I began to read it. And, and I will tell you, friends, I don't remember... Uh, particularly understanding much of what Tozer was talking about. I knew uh, that it, whatever he was talking about was the real deal. 
But for most of it, I'd say 90% of the book I missed. But I remember finishing that book, and I will say this, what that book did, there was something in my heart, and uh, there, was a, uh, there was a fire to pursue God. I knew that what the man was talking about I needed, even though I didn't understand a lot of it. And I would say probably before that, but in, a, in a probably a deeper intensity, my pursuit began. I hope every BCM student is already on the pursuit, the pursuit of God. I hope you freshmen, you've been here long enough. I hope there's a, something in your heart, a fire, that you're not motivated to spend time with God and seek His face just because others will think something about you. I hope it's something you have to do because you need God. You want God. You know you need to pursue God. Everybody comes to a point in their life somewhere where you decide what you're going to live for, what you're going to pursue. Unfortunately, in our country, there are a lot of things that people get distracted by. But you're either going to pursue that which you can see, and the Bible says when you pursue that which you can see, you are pursuing that which is temporal. We can look around and see lost people, that's all they got to live for. They pursue things they can see, and at the very end, when they die, they leave it all. They leave it all, because it's temporal. And uh, Bill Gates, as rich as he is, when he dies, he's not taking any of it with him. And uh, I feel sorry for the guy, Michael Jordan and all the rest of them. When they die, they're leaving it all. And uh, we understand that. Or you can live for that which you cannot see. The Bible says that's eternal. That's the pursuit of God. That's the pursuit of things eternal. And uh, every single one of us has to make that decision. What are we going to live for? What is it that we're laying up treasure for that which is on earth or that which is in heaven? I think we've all seen recently uh, laying up treasure on earth has its liabilities because the stock market can go down and, and things can lose their value and your government can spend $2 trillion and, and have no money to pay it off. And so all you millennials are going to have to pay that debt, by the way. And uh, so get excited about that. Except you Canadians, you're gonna have to, you won't have to pay it. But, um, uh, but the point is, and some of you other foreign students or other foreign students here, but uh, for you Americans... Uh, that's, uh, you know, it, it, again, it, it's um, inflation, one of the great thieves. It may be the thief of your generation. But, um, but the point I'm making is uh, you have to decide you're going to live for the eternal. And when you live for the eternal, uh, you are living for things that will last for eternity. But the pursuit of God. So every single student, I want to encourage you in these days, this is not the time to relax on your hour with God or your time with God. This is not the time to let down. This is the time to really say, I've got to get ready because God's doing something. And it may be bigger than we realize. And His coming may be a whole lot closer than we realize. And I want my remaining days to count for God. The pursuit of God. Now, I found something about this, and I think you do too. When God shows up in your life, in other words, the manifestation of His presence, when God shows up, there is, there is something about circumstances that don't, they don't move you. How do I put this? Fear leaves in the presence of God. As long as Peter's eyes were focused on the Lord Jesus, he could walk on water. And the storm about him and the wind and the waves didn't trouble him because he knew his eyes were focused on Jesus and Jesus could meet every need, he could tackle every problem, he could overcome every obstacle. So it is with us in these days. I don't know about you, but it's easy to get your eyes off the Lord, get troubled about the circumstances, wonder about the future, have a lot of question marks, a lot of uncertainty, uncertainties. The only way to overcome that is to spend time with God and live in the presence of God. Now, most of us understand, you're BCM students, you get this. What does it mean to seek God's face? Well, I think there's two things implied by this. Number one, if you seek, uh, you must seek. In other words, there's got to be a pursuit. There's got to be a hunger. God, I want you. And I believe the idea of the pursuit is very clear in other passages of Scripture. Deuteronomy 4.29, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If you seek from with all your heart, 
and with all your soul. Jeremiah 29, 13, you shall seek for me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So it is clearly the priority search. It's the priority pursuit. It is that more than anything on planet earth, I have got to know the presence of God. It's not seeking religion, it is seeking a real relationship with the Lord Jesus. Uh, a spiritual, it's a spiritual reality. And for some of you freshmen, if you do not know what I'm talking about, I hope in these days you will begin to pursue God like you've never pursued God. And realize, I don't know God. I remember as a freshman in college, I don't know God. I need to know God. I need God. I began the pursuit of God in, in a way I had never, be, began, uh, before, never really pursued God before. And so uh, the pursuit of God is really, God, I want a relationship with you. I want your spiritual reality to change me. And I don't know about you, but I do know this. When I'm living in the reality of the presence of God, there is, there's a peace, there's a calm, a, a calm over your soul, there is a confidence in the future, there is a sense of destiny, a sense of calling, a sense that God's going to do great things, He's doing great things, and uh, it really is what we all need. We need God. So seek my face means we make a priority. God is who we want. And sometimes people might even ask, well, what does that look like? And I will just simply say, read the book of Psalms and you will find what it means to pursue God. And uh, I will say that um, uh, I um, came across a hymn. Some of you have heard this hymn before. It was uh, by Francis Havergal. I pulled up the words here. I cannot do without thee. Uh, for years, I think the, the hymn, I think, has had several tunes and it just kind of fell on hard times. About 10 years ago, somebody picked it up, uh, wrote a, uh, a, a new tune to it. Uh, and as a result, I've heard it several times at Christian camps. But I was struck with the text, absolutely struck with the text. And I want to read the second stanza because I believe this is what it means to pursue God, uh, to pursue His face, His manifest presence, the reality of fellowship with Him, the spiritual reality of His presence. And here's what it says, uh, second stanza, I believe it is. I uh, could not do without Thee. I cannot stand alone. I have no strength or goodness, no wisdom of my own. But Thou, beloved Savior, art all in all to me, and weakness will be power while leaning hard on Thee. I love that last phrase. And weakness will be power when leaning hard on Thee. You know, when you're in college particularly, sometimes you look around, you see other guys with unbelievable strengths. And if you're not careful, you can sometimes uh, get discouraged. You know, I don't have that ability. You know what I've learned? I can't be other great preachers. I can't be Tom Farrell. I can't be Jim Shetler. There's great preachers. I can't be Doc Flanders. I can try. I can imitate him sometimes. But I can't be Doc Flanders. But I've learned this. I can be Jim Van Gelderen. And each one of us is uniquely different. And uh, I don't care who you are, BCM student. It doesn't matter who you are. God has uniquely fitted you to do something only you can do like God fitted you to do it, made you to do it. And when you focus on other people, instead of just a, a relationship with God and what God made you to do and who you are in, in Christ, uh, you're going to get in trouble. Because notice what it says in this song, and of course the Bible tells us this, weakness will be power when leaning hard on thee. Sometimes God takes your very weakness and the rest of your life, He'll use it in a way the rest of your life you'll realize that's God. I think of my own dear father who struggled with stuttering. My uncle told me years after my dad went to heaven, he said, Jim, your dad stuttered so badly he could hardly put two words together. 
Now that's very difficult for me to even comprehend because my dad's life and ministry was all about communication. <laughs> that's what he did. If he was known for anything, he was known for communication. He was known for what he said to this day. People remember what he said. Isn't that interesting? Uh, my uncle said he only had only one friend. Uh, he was going to be, I think, an aeronautical engineer, some kind of engineer. He built balsa wood airplanes and put timers in them and, and uh, would fly them. And he had one friend that would come over and help him build those airplanes. And, and, uh, but at age 14 years old, unmistakably, my dad was singing in an audience. And uh, God began to work in his heart. And very clearly, he said, actually, he said, the funny thing was, he said, the preacher was boring. And he said, it was so boring he said, the thought hit him, man, that'd be terrible to have to be a preacher because not only are you bored uh, sitting down I, like me, he said, he's bored and he's, he's got to stand. Okay, that was his thought. And his next thought was, God basically said, Wayne, that's what I want you to do. And my dad said one of the things he never wanted to do was bore people because he remembered being bored so much as a kid. But here's the point, is God called him to preach and he couldn't even talk. Now, some of you heard the story. I won't go into it because we'll tell it. I'm sure you've heard it at other times. But God very clearly confirmed that call, and He began to preach, and God began to bless, and He went off to college, and God gave him a wonderful speech teacher on the human side that helped him. And there was a certainly a divine enabling. But God used His very weakness to be what He became known for. See, you don't know what God's doing in your heart life. But if you'll seek the Lord's face, He'll take even your weaknesses, and weaknesses will become power when leaning hard on thee. And the one thing you'll learn about weaknesses is when God enables you in your weakness, you know it's God, and you'll spend the rest of your life, and you won't even be tempted to take credit for it because you'll know it was God. So God does use weaknesses, friends, but you'll never know that unless you seek His face, unless you get to know Him, unless you have that confidence in spending time with Him. My wife told me an illustration recently in some of her readings, saying it came across. I'll probably do a The Generation podcast about it because the story is so amazing. But there was a, there was a young man who was um, uh, uh, being taught. He was going to be taught uh, some kind of wrestling. I can't remember what kind of wrestling it was, but he had a, a coach, a renowned coach. And uh, the only trouble was with this young man, he didn't have a left arm. He had one arm and he was going out for wrestling. And his coach only taught him one move. It was a very difficult move, took a lot of training, but that's the only move he taught him. And he went to the tournament, scared half to death, his very first tournament, and he won the tournament. And as the story goes, he won tournament after tournament after tournament until he came to the championships, and he was coming to a, a final match, and it was such a, a look, he looked to be so outmatched, even the referee asked him if he wanted to forfeit. And the coach said, no, we're not forfeiting, he's going to go do it. And he went out and he won the match. And afterwards, he came to the coach and said, Coach, why did you only teach me one move? He said, well, I'll tell you why. Because it's the most difficult move and you mastered it. But he said, I'm going to tell you a second reason that I never told you before. There's only one defense against that move. And that is for your opponent to grab your left arm. His very weakness was the very thing that uh, that wrestling coach would, knew, would know be his strength. See, just a human illustration of what God wants to do. But I guarantee you, gang, you start seeking God, you begin living in the presence of God, you begin developing a relationship with God, and you realize that God has something for you to do, and your limitations and liabilities are no problem for God. And your weaknesses will be a power when leaning hard on Him.
And God has something for you to do. He will uniquely challenge you. That's why a spiritual gift is spiritual. It's not necessarily uh, you're, you, you have things you're born with, skills you're born with. Not necessarily your spiritual gift involved that. Not necessarily skills you acquire and learn. Uh, those are there as well. Spiritual gift is spiritual. God can use those other things. But your spiritual gift is something God gives you. And just like my dad, God called him and gave him the gift of uh, being a pastor and clearly enabled him to overcome. So seeking God's face, it's so important in college to spend time with God now. And I ask each BCM student, how is your time with God? When's the last time you enjoyed the presence of God? I hope that it wasn't a long time ago. I hope it's within 24 hours that you have met with God and known it, that you fellowship with God and knew you were behind the veil. And uh, again, so you must seek God. And there must be, number two, an expectancy. If you seek God, you ought to expect that you're going to find Him. And uh, those, I believe, are the two truths, and I've uh, certainly have preached on that before. And uh, certainly those are important truths, and there's much more I could say, but I've certainly preached it before. I just want to remind you of the importance of the pursuit of God. And then last of all, notice what it says, turn from their wicked ways. Turn from your wicked ways. Now, it's interesting to me how this kind of ties into the first one on humble yourself. It's kind of the first and the last kind of have correlation, and the second and third seem to have some correlation. But um, turn from your wicked ways. Obviously, if you humble yourself, you're, you're through the doorway. It's interesting to me that the humility aspect gets you through the doorway. Because <laughs> if you're honest and you depend on God, okay, you're right there at prayer, seeking His face, and turning from your wicked ways are, are right there. It's the doorway. You can't do any of the three without humility. It's the, it's, it's the, the, the way you got to get into the deal. But turning from your wicked ways is simply this. Uh, a few years ago, uh, we had an evangelist here preaching the opening. Some of you heard me mention this. And I remember as he was preaching, he said something that literally has been very helpful in my life. He said, a stronghold is not necessarily something that gets you every day. This is something that simply gets you on a regular basis. This is before actually my whole journey on strongholds. And it really was the embryonic thought that got me down the trail. And he kind of pointed out, you might only struggle with it every three months or maybe every six months or every year. But the point is, it keeps coming back and you can't shake it. That's a stronghold. And I thought to myself, you know, that's why we tolerate. Because it's, well, only three months or every six months or every month. It's not that big a deal. But they do limit us. They hinder what God wants to do in our life. They hinder our faith, our walk with God. They're not helpful. Turning from your wicked ways means... Saying, God, I'm dead serious about seeing these strongholds come down. I'm dead serious about seeing victory over these things. I don't want to deal with this the rest of my life. I want to see victory. I've got to see victory. I'm desperate about the matter. Turning from your wicked ways seems, means we stop tolerating sins, even if they don't occur, but every once in a while. <laughs> we say, God, I've got to see victory. And I would encourage every one of you uh, to, to think about the importance of uh, whatever God's dealing with you about to take the necessary steps. And uh, many times that first step is finding someone who can help you and finding Scripture and casting down wrong thinking. We've dealt with a lot of these things, particularly in the last couple of years. But turning from your wicked ways means simply this. I don't want to tolerate anything, even if it doesn't occur that often. I want to see it come down. There's got to be a root issue I need to deal with. There's wrong thinking I've allowed to spring up. I've got to deal with this stuff because I want the stronghold to come down. And of course, uh, sometimes again, the honesty and getting honest with the appropriate people can be a help in getting that stronghold down in your life. And let me encourage you to do that. And I've certainly noticed over the years in traveling with different young people, uh, when young people are appropriately honest, God's power just seems to walk right into their life. 
They're willing to deal with everything and anything God deals with them about. Kind of reminds me several years ago, the very same preacher that preached on strongholds was preaching along and he said something, they gave an illustration I thought was stunning. He talked about being in his RV and one day just to get an onslaught of uh, sensual thoughts and he immediately took out his phone and he's texted some accountability partners, some other evangelist friends that were his age. And immediately they began to text back and verses of scripture and different things and I want to ask you a question. I don't even remember how the illustration ended. I just remember him giving that illustration. But I want to ask you a question. Even you're sitting out there in your own home, what do you think uh, happened with that evangelist? Do you think he got victory? And the answer for all of us is, well, absolutely he did. You know sometimes why we don't get victory? Because we're not willing to get the help we need at the, at the time of attack. And uh, secret sins many times remain just that, secret sins. And again, I'm talking about Holy Spirit-led, appropriate. But turning from your wicked ways means I'm not tolerating this in my life anymore. i got to see it come down no matter what. Turning from our wicked ways. It's important for us in these days to do that. Now, what, what does God say as a result here? He says, then will I hear from heaven. Okay, he's going to hear us. And if we know He hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. So that seems to indicate we got the answer. Then will I hear from heaven. Wow. That's why, as I mentioned yesterday, for some of you spending time in praying and this divine optimism, I beg you to spend some time asking God big stuff as you really uh, uh, ask, uh, pursue a personal revival or live in it if you're already there. Ask God for big things, uh, not just uh, in the future, but now, but also for the future. Because I do believe that God wants us to get a divine optimism about the future. There ought to be an excitement, a sense of calling and destiny. We, like I mentioned yesterday, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God knows what He wants to do through your life. I encourage you to get a sense of that thing. I mean, get with God on the deal and come into union with God about your future, what God your future has and, 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 and ask God the big things. Okay, He'll hear from heaven. Secondly, He'll forgive our sins. I believe that took place when we humbled ourselves. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. The moment we get honest with God, there's forgiveness. And uh, there can be a, a, a reclamation of our fellowship with God. And then last of all, He says He'll heal our land. Now, obviously, there could be all kinds of application there, but I want us to certainly if if there would be one who would make an apologetic for, uh, based on that previous verses of Scripture in chapter number 6, based on Solomon's request that strangers could come, if there could be an apologetic for uh, this text being used for national revival, certainly there could be other applications. I understand that. That was not my purpose, and I have not yet studied it to that depth. But I will say for us individually, individually I'm not minimizing physical healing if we need it. Certainly it's not wrong to ask for it. But I, I think for most of us, we understand the healing could be what we've been talking about the last couple of years, asking God to heal if there's things that need to be healed. And as certainly as I, uh, just a couple days ago, I referenced yesterday uh, talking with a man on Monday night. Uh, he's a man clearly needs to be healed. He's a man that God is definitely working in his life. He's using him. He's had tremendous victory over issues in his life, drug abuse and alcohol and pornography and all kinds of issues, but yet he's struggling with one final giant, it seems, and that is anger. But the issue is there's still issues in his life that are unresolved. 
It's amazing that so many strongholds have come down in his life, but there's still a big one that is still defeating him, the issue of anger. That's his stronghold. That's where he runs when he's frustrated, when he's overwhelmed, when he senses defeat and discouragement and rejection and failure and worthlessness. That's the stronghold he goes to, and he's broken about it. He's burdened about it. But the point is, he needs to be healed, and God can do that. So certainly for everyone, every one of you BCM students, let me encourage you, don't waste these days. Certainly take whatever ministry opportunities that God gives you and whatever one He lays on your heart. And Some of you have already done that, and I'm grateful for everything I'm hearing, and pursue that. But let me encourage you, don't miss in these days the need for personal reflection and personal pursuit of God and a personal hunger for God and a personal seeking of God's face and, and a personal asking God for big things uh, for the next 50 years, so to speak. I mean, make these moments holy moments, days and weeks where we meet with God and we'll look back with not regret or with uh, uh, just kind of a bummed out that that had to happen, but look back with great fondness that during this whole trial, we met with God. We had more time to spend with God, and we met with God, and there were big things that happened, big answers to prayer, and things we claimed for the next 50 years of our lives, and things that, that we will look back and say, wow, that was important. That's what I look back to college. It's just very special times of meeting with God. I hope you'll meet with God, and I hope God will do something in your heart. Here's what I'm going to ask again, our pianist to come, just play for a few seconds, and if God has particularly stirred your heart about something or said, you know, you need to deal with this, I'm going to just invite you to kneel. I'm going to just say wherever you are, I think it might be good just to kneel. If God touched your heart in that way, just kneel if you're able to and uh, spend the next few moments putting a stake down like we would in a normal chapel service, then pastor will close. <laughs> 